Hello and welcome to Ozpol Explained. I'm your curly-haired ginger host, David, and with me is another fellow ginger. Today I'm going to be interviewing uh, the Honourable Wilson Tucker, who has a very specific and niche historical achievement. But first, can you please just introduce yourself for those at home? Hi David, my name is Wilson Tucker. I'm a member for Mining and Pastoral Region and Independent. For, for the region, a former leader of the Daylight Saving Party. Former leader of the Daylight Savings Party, which is probably not a political party that most people have heard <laughs> of, uh, unless they've heard of you in the news, because you made um, uh, history in the 2021 WA state election, getting voted in on just 98 primary votes. Yes. How did that work? Well, very, very good question. Uh, look, I think it is the lowest lowest win, the lowest seat that was picked up with the smallest number of uh, primary votes in Australian election history. Um, if your, your viewers would like to correct the record, I'm, I'm more than happy to be corrected on that point. Um, very dubious title, so I won the seat with using group voting tickets, uh, which is GVTs, and it's a, basically a way to, to shortcut the system and allow for somebody to vote for a, a party or a group of candidates without numbering sort of one, two, to X on the, on the ballot paper. And so it allows for the, the political party to then sort of dictate terms around where those preferences uh, are going to flow. And so we made a lot of agreements with, with minor parties, with major parties um, to, to pick up like, basically the preference flow. And so when the parties are being excluded in those, in those counting rounds, um, we're essentially picking up those votes and sort of amalgamating them and becoming this, um, you know, going from 98 to, to picking up a quarter and, and then Winning, winning a seat. Um, so we use that with the help of uh, Glenn Drury. So he, he's known as the preference whisperer. He's, he's been around for a little while and dabbled in, in a number of, of Australian political elections at the, at the state and the federal level, um, essentially relying on group voting tickets, I think as a, as a way to, to position sort of ordinary people into to winning seats. Recently, the, uh, the GVTs have been, have been scrapped in Western Australia. We can certainly get into that. Um, so it's going to make it harder, I think, for, for folks like Glenn to sort of pull candidates like myself um, into, into seats in Parliament, but the, the door is still there. So is it fair to say that you did not really uh, go in expecting that you would win? And how did it feel to win? As a sort of leader of a minor party, I think if you expect to win, then you're in for a world of hurt. It is the, the odds are certainly stacked against you. The, you know, the system is such that the, the major parties have a lot, you know, are pulling a lot of those strings. So it, it is challenging. If your viewers are familiar with the ABC prediction calculator on after election night, it sort of gives you those six candidates that are being elected on, on the votes that have been counted so far. And I think it took about a week um, before the calculator actually put, you know, Wilson Tucker is, as one of those candidates. And after that fact, and um, my, my phone sort of blew up as a result, I was actually in Mexico at the time and I had to make a pretty big uh, life decision from, from living in Seattle and being in the software development field to um, throwing that all sort of on, onto the side and, and then coming back to Australia and, and taking the seat. And so after that fact, um, it was, you know, became a lot more sort of crystallized and then, you know, I found myself being, um, um, being sort of sworn in and having to sort of make that decision and get back before the before the swear before the swearing in ceremony. So you know, as you said, um, you weren't actually living in Western Australia at the time. You were in Seattle, so you know you definitely have 
these political aspirations. Um, it would be nice to get elected, but uh, you know you weren't necessarily uh, you know banking on that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, people before they get into parliament do have other lives and careers that they don't just put on hold until they get elected. So, how did you feel making that decision uh, and weighing it up between? carrying on doing what you were familiar with, what you're good at, versus entering this entirely new career of parliament. Yeah, so I think it's when you least expect it is when that, you know, when you get that serendipitous sort of lightning strike moment, and that that was certainly the case for myself. In in 2017, I, I ran in the election then, and we, we followed the more sort of traditional route of, of you know, waving core flutes around and, and clipboards and trying to sort of get get votes and, and sort of show your face and and um, garner some level of support uh, versus, well, and then not actually winning the seat and really wanting the seat versus then moving to Seattle and, and um, you know, following my, my background in software, software development, software engineering. I found out in 2021 that I was actually still eligible uh, to run. I had resided in Western Australia even though I wasn't living in the country at the time, I could still run. The party was still registered, with fulfilled all the requirements with the, the WA Electoral Commission. And so it was more of a, a sort of a roll of the dice, you could say, um, give it a shot, let's, let's, you know, why not, without really expecting uh, an, an outcome or, or a result. And I was actually in Mexico at the time, I was sort of working remotely, um, you know, sitting on my laptop and drinking a few mojitos and um, watching the results come in and because of the time delay it was actually a case of waking up in the morning pressing the refresh button on the on the abc prediction uh, calculator and then um, one day it went from you know five six random candidates to five random candidates and and wilson tucker and then i had to really um, make a, a pretty uh very quick and quite drastic sort of decision to to come home and um, as you said, David, sort of throw everything to the side. I was actually happy living in Seattle. Um, you know, I was in a career that I sort of definitely you know, knew and loved versus coming back to Western Australia and, um, and moving into an area that I wasn't familiar with at all. I, I didn't really have any sort of noble political aspirations other than I cared about like daylight saving. And I felt like the government wasn't representing myself on the issue and I thought it was a good you know, lifestyle issue, it could benefit Western Australia. And the government is very conservative and just moves very slowly. So I felt a bit sort of, sort of disenfranchised or sort of disgruntled on this one issue. And, um, and that, that was my main catalyst for, for running. Um, it wasn't born out of you know, a, a, you know, a very um, refined sort of political, like ideological base or anything, but it, it was one thing that I had a bit of an ax to grind and, and, um, and it sort of snowballed and sort of catapulted me to, to, uh, to this position. Like you said, you are very passionate about daylight savings. Uh, however, that is a very sort of specific topic um, that doesn't necessarily have the same broad policy platform as you know, uh, other political parties. So what really was the, the, the value that you saw? What was the motivation of creating a political party around an issue? instead of uh, you know, a petition or some other kind of campaign. Um, you know, single issue parties do actually exist quite a lot. So you know, why create a single issue political party instead of other means of political pressure? 
Yeah, so look, there are certainly other avenues to to get your voice heard and, and try to advance your issue, you know, petitions and, and rallies and demonstrations and, you know, varying forms of lobbying in all their, their different aspects. Um, for myself, the issue of daylight saving is quite cyclical. It's, you know, seasonal whenever the East Coast sort of comes in and out of, of daylight saving we the, the media will sort of jump on the issue for you know a brief moment and ask a question about why doesn't WA have daylight saving? And I, I've, I looked at the, the requirements to start a political party um, in WA through the WAC, and it was it wasn't that difficult. It, it, it turns out it was you need 500 registrations, and so we I, I gathered a few friends and. Um, you know, wave clipboards around after footy games and, you know, did some social media blasts. We, we found the number, um, you know, rel- relatively quickly with a fair bit of, you know, a fair bit of effort, but we, we got registered. Um, and starting a political party is a good way of, of I, I felt, sort of positioning yourself as a bit of a sort of a thought leader on that, on that topic. Um, the issue had been sort of largely left alone to its own devices after some sort of rather infamous comments by Colin Barnett saying, after the referendum to don't touch the issue for a generation, it's, it's dead and buried. Um, and I felt not be, I felt like I wasn't being represented on the issue of daylight saving. I felt like it, it had, had credit, had credence. Um, you know, I, I've always viewed it as a bit of a lifestyle issue. And we have a younger generation coming through. The millennials now sort of equal the boomers in terms of the largest you know, age cohort in, in Australia. And so I felt like it, you know, had it had weight, it had legs. It was it was about time that we sort of repositioned this issue and, and had another look at it. Um, so starting a political party, I thought was a good way of sort of positioning myself and sort of capture rather than going to the media, the media will, will then naturally or organically sort of come to you. I certainly wouldn't discount other forms of 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 participating in our democratic institutions. You know, e-petitions, petitions you know, writing letters, harassing local representatives, whatever it may be, um, they're all fantastic. But for myself, um, it, it just seemed like a, a relatively good way of positioning yourself and trying to beat that war drum in the media and trying to uh, gather some support on a, on a what's been described as a big little issue in Western Australia. It's big because it affects everyone. It's little because we're only talking about, you know, one hour difference. Members of parliament, you know, they represent a community and it is a a balancing act really between you know their personal views and the views of the people they represent and the conflicting views within the community of what they want achieved. Um, you are no stranger to this you know you're a big champion for daylight savings but the community is you know has a lot of other key issues that they bring to you um, and there's lots of conflict between what people in the community want so you know how do you go about balancing that? How do you sort of deal with the responsibilities of being an elected member of parliament now that you're here? It's more of a listening exercise at, at that stage. You're right in saying, you know, daylight saving is, a, is an issue. It's very, you know, in, if you weight it against the entire society that, you know, WA represents, it is a small issue. It's, a, you know, very narrow sort of perfu. So as a, as a leader of a micro party or an independent, you're really forced to to represent people on a, on a whole range of issues that affect their their daily lives. So you can't you can't just sort of flog the proverbial horse for four years and just focus on the one issue. You are forced, in a sense, to really look more broadly and and form opinions or solicit feedback on, on a wide range of issues. 
Um, when there's an issue that comes up for debate, I try and sort of view it from the, the regional sort of mining and pastoral lens and sort of think about what people in the regions want. And there's a few different ways of sort of gauging, you know, community feedback and, and support for an issue. Uh, there are various sort of lobby groups or interest groups that can that can re, that can you can speak to or experts that can help you form an opinion. If it doesn't if if it doesn't affect the regions and it's sort of more sort of city or metro focused, I think that's where I get a bit more sort of social license to just put the sort of the Wilson Tucker hat on and form sort of an opinion. Um, something like trading hours, for example, where it's not such a burning issue in regional Western Australia, but there is, I believe, a, an issue of restrictive trading hours affecting you know, the metro areas and the city of Perth. So it, it is a balancing act. Um, I don't have the you know, magic formula for it, but really you know, my role is, as an independent, as a, as a member of Mining Pastoral, is to really listen to constituents and try and echo what, what they, they're telling me and, and what, I, what I view as the, which will produce the best outcome for them. Let's you know, really hone in on what it's like being a member of parliament. Uh, so, you know, you're an independent, you don't have the support of a party room um, to help you come up with decisions or the resources to examine what an issue is. How does that, you know, affect your job? How do you go about coming to a perspective or idea um, in the chamber? You really have to form an opinion on a, you know, a wide range of issues and not necessarily be a, a subject matter or expert on everything, but be enough to be sort of dangerous and understand, you know, the main, the, you know, the main points in the debate and have enough sort of ammunition or um, expertise to, to defend your position. I think there is a prevailing myth that if you're a member of parliament, you have an endless amount of resources and that, that is definitely not true. As I think if you're on the government side of, of the equation, you, you know, you have more access to the agencies, the departments, Certainly in a larger party, you have more of a sounding board to, I think, you know, gauge your ideas and, and sort of refine them a little bit. As, a, as someone on the crossbench and sort of the non-government side, you know, you're, you have access to a research officer, an electorate officer, but your, your resources are quite limited and a lot of bills can come at you in fairly rapid fire succession. So I've, you have to really choose your battles and learn when to put blinkers on and let some things pass through. And also when to, when to reach out, when to sort of dig in, dig deep and try and you know, understand an issue and um, engage, you know, determine community sentiment on, on something and when, when you should be really sort of engaging and, and, um, and um, you know, going at it sort of 100 miles an hour versus something that is maybe a sort of a bureaucratic change. It isn't going to affect the people you represent. So sort of letting it, letting it slide. I think one of the biggest challenges is sort of untangling the web of bureaucracy that is our, our government and learning and also finding subject matter experts, you know, in the private sector or in, in um, academic circles who to talk to when, when a bit of legislation is coming through and who can give you, you know, the non-political, um, uh, you know, statement or, you know, sound out what an issue, you know, where it is, what are the gaps and, and um, help you form an opinion. So there's there's lots to take in. You really, I think, choosing your battles and and choosing them wisely is is something that I've I've learned over the last couple of years. It sounds like a challenging job, uh, but is there is there scope for you know for ordinary people and people of all sort of different 
walks of life who don't want to be career politicians to enter this space and contribute? Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think people with ordinary backgrounds are, are well positioned, well suited um, for, for parliament. I think you certainly have a lot of a lot of lawyers, a lot of sort of union union officials, ex ex union um, guys and girls that have come through um, in in parliament in this term at least. Um, I have a I have a background in software engineering. Um, it doesn't give me any sort of special you know abilities or any sort of background in 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 debating or you know political um, ideology or anything. But I think if you have a we're talking about a contest of ideas. In the, in the chamber and I think you have more diversity, people from different backgrounds, um, from different ethnicities um, coming through and being uh, and participating as part of that debate, I think it produces better outcomes. So absolutely, I don't think it should be confined to the career politicians. I think the more, uh, the more ordinary people, and I use the quotes ordinary, um, that we have as, as part of that debate in Parliament, I think, I think the better outcomes and the better, better representation that we have um, in this country and in, in this state. And I would encourage minor parties and micro parties to, to, to run and still, and still try and have a, have a seat at the table because there is, there is still space and, and it, is, it is good, certainly in the House of Review and the Upper House, when you have you know, diverse opinions at the table and, and debating and scrutinising legislation. Thank you very much for your time. David, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, comment down below what you would like to learn about next or, you know, give me suggestions for who to interview next. Share, subscribe, all those sorts of things. Uh, and thank you to those who support me on Patreon. And I will see you next time.